You are the total good God who knows knows all and who loves us. And he demonstrated that by sending Jesus. And we just are so thankful that you didn't you don't stand detached from this world, but that you came into it and you suffered and you conquered that. So we just we just ask you to help us tonight. Help us um, to trust you and where we doubt and encourage us. Amen. I pretty well covered it. <laughs> this is one of those those deals that no matter how you go about this, you're in a no-win position with with some questions that will ultimately come to mind or be asked. And uh, I just want to share with you as we go into this, evil is one of those things, uh, the problem of evil in Scripture, but it automatically means problem of evil in Scripture, and as I put on my major outline there, in the world too, uh, is is that we don't have a, a, a clear explanation to why. We have a clear explanation to what it is, uh, but we don't have a clear explanation as to why God allowed it. However, that shouldn't keep us from wrestling with this because it's evident in the Scripture. It's evident that others wrestled with it in the Scriptures. Um, and, and so I think that it's appropriate to wrestle with it tonight. I want to, to, to be honest with you. I really don't have a lot of, of answers other than what I have come across in my lifetime. I, I have had to wrestle with this. Uh, you know, and as far as outlines go, it was either that or this. And my computer wouldn't copy this. So, uh, you know, uh, it's... I, I had a couple of ideas of outlines, and, and, and then I decided, you know, I don't know wh- how this is going to flow. I don't know which way it's going to go. I'm just not going to worry about it. And uh, the only thing is, is that I could get paper and pencils for you if you want to take notes. Does anybody want Paper. Oh, you got paper there. Anybody want a pencil? I think there's... Do you know where the pens are? Okay, well then we're fine. Okay. Um, you know, we started our series, and it's, I think it's important to, to, to re, you know, start here, is that we established that the, the Bible is God's Word. It's God-breathed. I'm not going to go over all of that again tonight uh, in the sense of, of, of defining and scriptures and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, we 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 set that one first because that was the premise we were going to come from in this study. They were holding this as inspired. Now, somebody might start out and just say, well, I disagree with that. Well, then that takes us back to square one and we'll just discuss it again. But a lot of times, if you ever, I'm sure if you've taken uh, classes in high school, college, where the teacher starts out and says, this is the premises we have to work with. And that can be in math, it can be in, in other things, uh, science, logic, uh, possibilities, st- uh, st- uh, statistics, all these kinds of things. Here's the premise that we start with and have to work with. This is the parameters we're going to use. This is our parameter for the purposes of this study, and that's why we went with it first. And uh, we also came with the studies that, that B.J. did in reference to the Holy Spirit. We call on the Holy Spirit to uh, both, you know, who explains the Scripture He's the one who teaches, as it says, and then also to open our hearts to receive the Scripture. So it works from both sides. And, and, that's, and then the canon, the idea that, that we have a reliable resource of information 
that God breathed and it's been passed down in such a way that we can, de- we can depend on it to be something that we can rest in with our faith. And then we also talked about uh, some issues with the uh, historical background, both in the idea of culture and, and, and genre. And, you know, uh, some of that is, is, is uh, over my head, but the stuff that BJ was sharing I really appreciated uh, because it is a point where you look at it. If you're going through, uh, in fact, some of even what, uh, you know, uh, we might even look at tonight is the idea is, is to understand that, you know, are we looking at something literal? Are we looking at something poetic? Are we looking at a, uh, a type uh, you know, this type of thing. So we'll look at some of that tonight too, and I appreciated that. So, where we come to tonight, and, and also to understand that, I, and I, I think I said this in the first study, the Bible makes no attempt to prove that God exists, or it just, it, it just starts and says, in the beginning, God. And when when Moses asks, who am I going to say that sent me in Exodus chapter 3? I am who I am. And, you know, you can look in Colossians chapter 1, you can look in Hebrews chapter 1, you can look at other, uh, in Philippians as well. It talks about the reality that, that, that God is, is the creator of the universe. He put it together. He sustains it. He holds it together. And... Uh, and so, you know, we look at, at that part of it and say, okay, God is. He's been in the beginning. He, was bef- he is eternal in His nature and His character. So all, of, all that He does, all that He is, uh, reflects that, His character. Uh, it, and it's beyond us. And I'll look a little closer at that in a few minutes. Um, I think that, uh, well, let's look at, at, at Colossians chapter 1. And uh, verses 15 through 17, familiar verses, uh, but just, uh, let's, you know, the, uh, if you have a, a New English, uh, or I mean an English Standard Version, they, you know how they put headings on the different ca- uh, sub subtopics, if you will. The preeminence of Christ is the title for this section. But, again, the Trinity. Christ is the physical, you know, to point out the incar- God incarnate. He is God-man. So, uh, anything it says about Christ, it would reflect on God as well. He is the image of the invisible God, the first of, of all creation, for by Him uh, all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. And the idea of firstborn positions there has to do with entitlement, you know, he's, uh, and, and so, uh, that, that picture is that he's before all things. Through him, all things were created. We could go back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says the Word became flesh in verse 14. And so, uh, we have this, the, the reality that God, the Father, Christ, His Holy Spirit, Go back to Genesis 1 and read the first few verses you see are there at the point of creation. And uh, 
So it's, it, they are eternal. God is eternal. He is eternal. Um, and He is beyond our full understanding. We'll, and like I said, we'll look at that a little closer in a minute. So, you know, I come to that question. God's character is holy. It's perfect. He, uh, we look at James and we will in a little bit. You know, uh, He is light. There's no darkness in Him at all. Um, God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Uh, things that, that don't apply to anything, anyone else but Him. And by the way, just you know, starting it off, it does not; those things do not apply to Satan or any angelic being either. Even though they are put in that category of supernatural, there is nothing omnipotent, omnipresent, or whatever about them. You know, I, I, and I love this, to, that reality is is that Satan is is he can't be everywhere at once. He doesn't know all things. He he you know, there's there's he's in extreme limitation <laughs> compared to especially when you think of who God is and so uh God is holy perfect in every way and then we look around and we see stuff that happens and we say I don't understand I don't get it how is this possible how can this happen and it's, and and there's nothing new under the the sun in the sense of evil and what has happened we see things today going on in the world in reference to, uh, you know, evil, man's in, I, 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 I can say more accurately some of the things for me, man's inhumanity to man. In 1963, uh, that was before 17 of you were born, no, uh, no, 1963, I, uh, I was in a, 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 uh, World history class, and we were, and it was a history of of, of uh, Western Europe, and uh, we were just getting to the point of World War Two. Previous, you know, somewhere, you know, the, the the Depression, how it affected the world, and all that kind of stuff, leading into World War Two. And a man by the name of Adolf Eichmann was caught by the Jewish Mossad in, uh, I believe, it was Argentina. He was a German officer who was responsible under Hitler, the next guy down, if you will, uh, working in co along with a couple others at the same rank, if you will, for the purposes of what we today call the Holocaust, to eliminate the Jewish people. And this wasn't the first man that uh, the Mossad had caught but it was one of the first that they decided to leave alive and bring to trial. And the reason I think they did that was because they wanted the church, the world to be reminded of what had happened. And this guy was a cornerstone in it, or certainly foundational in it. And uh, so all of the big magazines, and I don't know what you know about Life and post and look. Every now and then they come out with specials today with all these pictures. Well, that was to be a weekly and or monthly magazines. And and they came out with all of this stuff on the Holocaust. I wasn't a Christian. I, did, I, 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 I wasn't in a Christian home. I asked my grandma, who was a Christian, I don't get it. And she said, there's no way to explain man's inhumanity to man. And that's where I came up with that idea of, of that phrase other than 
getting into the, the theological picture, the fall of man. We'll look at that again in a little bit. So, I was blown away. I had, ne- I, I've, I had experienced already cruelty, child abuse. I'd seen it on other people. I'd experienced it personally. Uh, but those were one-on-one kind of situations where somebody was just angry or mad or strange. You know, but it wasn't a culture or a, a group, and it wasn't attacking a culture or a group or an ethnic group. I couldn't figure it out. I wasn't even, I, I'm a terrible reader. I'm extremely slow. But I read the first book I ever read all the way from one end to the other. <laughs> the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. It took me all summer and into the fall. And uh, so in the next history class, I did a, uh, in the next year, I did a special on it. You know, my report on it because I'd, I'd read so much about it. And I remember my teacher taking me out to UCSB, the University of California, Santa Barbara, it's library. And there was this whole section on it. So here, and it was exclusive to the Holocaust. And it was hundreds of individual different books. I have to say that that had to be my first battle with trying to figure out evil. But it's nothing new. And, and so, as we need to, as we look at this, I, I, I want to say it's not wrong to wrestle with it. We're not going to solve the come up with the, all the answers, and we're not going to solve the dilemma of trying to fully understand it. But maybe we can come to grips with it and and, and a sense of, for lack of better words, peace with it. So God is if he's if he's all powerful, then why is there evil? Anybody want to tell me something that what what give me a definition of evil? And I'm not trying to set anybody up. I'm not fishing. I just anybody want to throw one out? Yeah, see, you're as brave as I am. I was hoping you'd throw one out, and then I would I could read mine second. Yeah. Pretty good. Anything that's unholy. Of course, now we have to define holy. <laughs> One of the uh, commentaries that I, I, I looked at, anything, or well, actually, this was a, a dictionary, anything that contradicts the holy nature of God. So it's pretty much what you said. Are there more complicated definitions? Are there more complete definitions? Yes. You're free to look them up. Uh, I, I, I think it's this, this is a simple definition and it works for me. Anything that contradicts the holy nature of God. And as we try to see the nature of God, we, we have to deal with a reality. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, 
Well, just just the, the, the last few verses of the chapter, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the word knows, the Lord knows that the, the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all is yours. And you are Christ and the Christ is, is, is God's. The picture here that he's trying to establish is that the world has a, a standard for wisdom. It has all sorts of ideas as to what would wise would be. Uh, the Greek culture, we were ta- told to look back at the, the, the history and the time. Uh, the influence of the Greek culture on 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 the writings and and Paul's life, uh, there there's all sorts of of wisdom writing and stuff that goes with that, and uh, it was the wisdom of men, and God said that it's foolishness, it's futile, it, it leads to nothing, it leads nowhere. Go back to First uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse eighteen. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the worldly wisdom, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Again, based on the worldly standards. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You know, when Paul was, I think it was talked about before, I don't remember which message it was, but when when Paul was, oh, it was actually in your your genre class. Uh, Paul's in in, in, uh, uh, Greece and he goes up and he he sees all the, 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 the gods and he sees the blank one, the God you don't know, you know, Paul's basically saying, you know, he's he's actually playing off of that in a sense with this, you know, uh, the God through it, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What we preach is what stands here that you don't know about. With all these gods, with all this wisdom, with all this history of of, of wisdom behind you, you can't get there from uh, you can't get here the, the the knowledge of God and what God has done from there. What is it we need? We need His Word. We need His Holy Spirit. And and that's and, and it's interesting when when Paul in that picture in Acts got to the idea of the resurrection. I, I I'm assuming there might have been some raised eyebrows rolling, their eyes, you know. And and basically it ended with the idea of uh, we'll we'll hear you again sometime, which was a way of saying don't 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 call us, we'll call you. Uh, you know. Uh, who could possibly buy into that? That's why God says it's the foolishness to man, but it's the wisdom of God. Do you see what's happening here? Is that God is very clearly separating. There's a gulf between what we can know and who God is and His wisdom and our best shot at wisdom. Isaiah 58, and I know that this is really familiar, uh, but... 
58, verse 8 and 9. Well, that's not what I wanted, is it? 55. That makes a lot more sense. My thoughts are not your thoughts. This is God speaking through Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God just puts it very blankly, you know, and very, very point blank, I should say. And that is, is that I'm eternal. And I thought, you know, at what point do we catch up? Has anybody ever wrestled or thought about that? You know, it says we're going to know, all, you know, there's a point where we're going to know things and, and face to face, we're going to see all things clearly and all this stuff. And, and I heard somebody say, at that point, we'll know the things that God knows. And I, and I found that amusing. Because, in reality, is there ever a point we catch up with God? Is it anything change even on an eternal basis in the sense that we are created, He is eternal? He is all-knowing, we will never be that in that category. I think that's what's going to make heaven. So one of the awesome things in heaven, I like what Randy Alcorn speaks about that, in the sense that it's, there's going to be constantly new revelation for eternity. It's, you know, people are saying, isn't it going to get boring out there? No. It's going to be the most exciting time of, 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 that we can think of in the sense of compared to anything that we've experienced up to now. Even the food. I, I, again, like, I, I, I go back to Randy Alcorn. You know, he says, you realize you haven't tasted your favorite fruit yet? Or, you know, you haven't tasted the best of what you think is your favorite fruit? Uh, the idea being... Uh, and somebody says, do we eat in heaven, don't eat in heaven, all that. That wasn't the issue. The issue was the idea that, that heaven, our experience in heaven is going to be continually unfolding and unco- uncovering on a constant basis and being overwhelmed. My professor in, in Bible college, George, George Alder, would always say, he says, it's going to be a constant revelation of understanding who God is and no wonder we're always falling down and worshiping Him. It will never be boring. So I wanted to say... This is our word. This is what we're using as our parameter. God is holy, perfect. He's holy, good. He is holy, holy. Two, uh, or do I have to say that three times? Holy, holy, holy. But anyway, he's he's totally perfect in every way. All powerful. And again, I come back to if this is true, then why does evil exist? Where does it come from? And probably the most difficult question that I've wrestled with is why, why does, was, does a good God allow it to exist and continue? The first death that I experienced in my life was when I was four years old and my grandfather died. 
I lived with my grandfather and my grandmother. I, my dad was gone before I was born. My grandfather was the only dad I knew. So I lost my dad and my grandpa simultaneously for all intents and purposes at that point in time in life. And I, I remember how it just overwhelmed our whole family. He was the glue. You know how everybody, every family either has a patriarch or a matriarch that kind of holds things together? Well, my grandfather was the, the matriarch of, of the social side of it. My grandmother was the matriarch of the cooking side of it. And together, they held everything together. We had dinner. Every, I mean, all of our family, cousins, you know, aunts, uncles, all of them came together every Sunday for dinner. And that, that started to stop after he passed away because he was the social glue in our family. My grandmother kept cooking. In fact, I, I, I'm trying to remember when she stopped cooking huge meals on Sunday. You know, because it was long after that and all of his food was left over because it, it, it ceased. It changed everything. It changed my grandmother's life. My mom was the baby of the family. She was the, the daddy's girl. Changed her life. He died from cancer. It took, it was a, 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 not a long time, but it took a while. And you watched it. I've had sudden loss. My stepfather was killed in an airplane crash. 1987. Uh, my stepmom died from cancer. You know, death is all part of this, and it's and it, you, know, you can't help. Uh, you know, I've, I've lost a son. I've lost a grandson. I've lost all my aunts and uncles. I've lost all my cousins except one. And you look at it, and you you realize it's all around us. That's personal. I can't help it. It's personal. I'm making it personal on purpose. I don't want any. Oh, you know, you've been through a miserable time in your life. I want to, just that fact that it causes you to wrestle. The reality of it is there. And why? Okay, God. I want an answer. I do not understand. My son, on October 7th, at 12.35 in the morning, died in an automobile accident. He was 21 years old. On the October sixth, you can imagine that why he was he was behind the wheel and he was heavily intoxicated. His buddies had gone gone out drinking together, and they had a designated driver, but he didn't understand his job. He simply took the guys back to where their cars were parked and sent them home. He didn't realize he had to take each one of them home. And at the point that he dropped them off, they didn't think about it. I walked around outside because I was going to, after the the police and and, uh, Jerry Frost, who was a good friend of mine, a member of his congregation was the chief officer on duty that night. So he went and got his pastor and and they called and I realized I'm going to have to wake up Kathy and tell her this, but I I don't know. Because I remember what it was like to tell her when her dad passed away six weeks after we got married. So I walked around and I was, I was angry. I was emotional. I thought I was loud. I'm surprised lights didn't go on in the neighborhood and somebody called the police. <laughs> and 
I said, God, I don't get it. I burn the candle at both ends with alcohol, drinking, driving. Uh, I, I started a fire in the middle of the candle as well. I had serious repercussions from all of that, but I survived. I said, my son flirts with it and he's dead. I don't understand. Because I knew, having just talked to my son a short time before that, I knew where he stood with the Lord. You know, we, 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 we have to wrestle with these things. And this is, by the way, this is one of the things that, that, that stands out here in the world that keeps a lot of people the same. If God is who you say he is, then why? And so if you haven't wrestled with this, uh, you're going to get asked that at some point sometime. And the day that somebody shared it with me was somebody who had just come out of wrestling with it. I believe a providentially appointed time and place for me. And for the first time, I sat down for two hours and listened to the gospel message. But based on a personal wrestling with conflict in his life. And how God had got him through. He didn't answer the question though. Why does evil exist? Bible tells us though. Who is at the head of evil. And it doesn't point to God. I, I thought of all the different verses. And there's enough of them. But. I decided to. I found my pen. Uh, I decided to go to one that I really, you know, frequently find myself going to, just uh, because God, you know, through, you know, Christ here is kind of drawing a line in the sand with the Sanhedrin, the the, the Pharisees, the scribes, these people, the the, the Jewish uh, religious leaders. And so, in John chapter eight, uh, verse thirty-nine. Uh, do I have somebody who would read that? Verse 39 through 44. John 8, 39 through Satan is labeled the father of lies. There's no truth in his character. Can you get more opposite than God? You know, there's no truth in his character at all. What it means is that there's no, and really I, the emphasis here would be, there is no light in his thinking. 
just as James said, and 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 and, and we get the picture. Uh, God, there is no dark in His thinking. They are opposites. So the question is, who is Satan? Um, again, we don't have a tremendous amount of information. I am old school on this in the sense that uh, uh, you know, coming out of the, the, the some of the the people that that seventies, uh, eighties, you know, going that's old school today, and uh, you know, we have three scriptures, and, and I don't know that we'll read them all, but Jude six, Second Peter two four, and Revelation twelve seven through nine. Uh, well, yeah, let's just read them. Somebody take Jude 6 and, and go to it and, and read it when you find it. And somebody else will be looking up Second Peter 2.4. And then we'll go to Revelation 12.7-9. So, somebody find Jude 6. Go for it. Okay, we get some kind of picture of rebellion. And it has to do with angels. And if we look at angels, we find if we go into Job, that angels were there when God created the earth. Uh, we, we don't get a lot. That's what we know about them in the sense of creation. They are created beings. They're not eternal in the context of like God is eternal. They're not omniscient. They're not omnipotent. You know, they, all of those things. And God created them, and they were there before the thing, and that there's some kind of rebellion. Okay, Second uh, Peter 2.4. Yeah, go ahead. Just go until you think you should stop. <laughs> because once I, I realized, once I said one more, I was into this for the finish. Okay, that's good enough. The idea is, is that there was rebellion. <laughs> and 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 they has to do with angels. Okay? Revelation chapter twelve, verse seven and through nine. Uh, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Dragon and his angels uh, fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, and the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Uh, some form of rebellion obviously going on here. And uh, the clear leader is the dragon, serpent, devil. You know, and, and when we get to Genesis chapter 3 and we look at 
the, the serpent tempting Eve, uh, we realize, isn't it, it kind of always amazes me how the Bible, you know, the very first book and the very last book are talking about this rebellious, evil person, uh, if you will, or angel actually, uh, and, and, and that he, there's no light in him at all. And his goal after his rebellion was to bring everything else into rebellion with him. There are two um, Old Testament scriptures that are frequently referred to. I'm cautious with this because, first off, there, there's no one single opinion as to uh, the, the, the intent of the, of the writers in these um, to refer to the devil. Uh, and so let's, uh, let's, well, let's just take one of them and, we'll, and then we'll get back to it, uh, that, that statement. Isaiah chapter 14 Um, just going to start with verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. You are cut down to the ground. You uh, have laid the nations low. You, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Uh, and, and, and then it says, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? So, obviously, Isaiah is writing about a man here. But I believe that the scripture also refers to types. And I believe that this could be considered a type of, 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 of the angel, uh, Lucifer. Uh, and and his fall, and basically it says that it was, a, for lack of better words, it was is that idea of pride. I'm going to be higher than God. Um, Ezekiel chapter, and it was referring to the king of Babylon, I believe, at this point. Okay, but it goes beyond some of the things that would describe him literally in a physical context. So we have a a, a, a kind of a, a type of something like. Uh, all the things, for instance, Moses at the, at the tree, the burning bush, that was a type of Christ. It was, it was God speaking to him, but it wasn't literally God, it was, it was a picture of God. And so, uh, we have that, that, that idea here, I think, and, and in Ezekiel chapter, uh, 28 as well. And, uh, And this one's referring to the king of, of Tyre. He was, uh, uh, again, a, a ruthless uh, warrior king. And, uh, you know, it says in verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, that's not true of, of the king of Tyre. You know, so again, we're getting to that. Is, is the word hyperbole at this point appropriate or a metaphor or something? But anyway, uh, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Very precious stone. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, uh, carbuncle, 
and crafted in gold were the, your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created. They were prepared. You were anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. Uh, uh, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were the blameless. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Like I said, I believe those are, are, are pictures of, 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 of certainly initially of the, the king of Babylon, the king of Tyre, but also uh, allusions to uh, Satan as well. And so you have at least here five scriptures that show you rebellion having to do uh, with the angels. Uh, and we have to go to Genesis chapter 3 to see how it got to us. Because this rebellion spread to us. I don't have to read this to you. It's something that you're familiar with, but we'll pick it up there when we get back from our break. So we've got, a, I don't know, five minutes or so, whatever. There's, if the donut bags aren't opened, you're free to open them. Uh, somebody, somebody uh, I, I made the comment, adults are allowed to open the bags, not the kids. Oh, I never knew that. Uh, so uh, you, you're, you're free to open the bags. There's water. There's coffee. I think it's decaf on the top, but make sure you you know look at the little signs. Yes, it is decaf on the top unless somebody switched them. We've gone through the we're going you know it, it past the point of of, of the the creation. Um, on the sixth day, God said, instead of just good, He used the word "very good." As it, and I, th- I think there's a sense of as it all sat together, bit by bit, as He puts it together over the over the period of through Genesis one and the the, the re-picturing of, of of creation of man in Genesis two, is is that idea that when it all comes together, He says it's very good. This is what I. I Want this is is what I was looking for, and uh, then we come to Genesis chapter three. Uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did you actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden." But God said, "You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it." lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. By the way, they were. (laughs) And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and and I'm a graphic person, I think in pictures, I, I, I see, you know, the, the demonic picture in the context of the serpent, uh, you know, he had nothing to lose. He's already done in that sense. So can you see him taking a bite of this and the, the, the juice is running out, you know, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's just the idea is it's, oh, this is so good. Uh, my, my, uh, my, my wife doesn't relate this in the context of evil and, and, and satanic battle and all that stuff, but, a warm tr- uh, a nectarine picked out of the of, of the, the orchard on a, a summer day. Uh, the, that's one that's been at the top of the tree and warm all day, and you pick it, and it just it just pops right off. It's, it's almost ready to fall. 
my wife, we lived surrounded by these orchards, and the guy allowed me to go, and he said, any tree in this section, you can always, you can all, you know, you know that way he kept us out of the rest of it. And, uh, and, and so she would say, gee, a nectarine really sounds good. <laughs> so across the street, climb the tree, climb, you know, and, and come back. And it's just one of those pictures. She, she just, as big a bite as she could get, and the, and the, the juice, and it's warm. I grew up in Southern California. I'm a, I'm a city kid to an extent at that point. We had fruit came from the store. It was cold. You know, why would you eat warm fruit? Uh, but, but, but she just, it, you know, it was that idea of the succulent, full flavor. You haven't lost anything. It's perfectly ripe. I, I, that's the picture Satan's painting here for her. Look at this perfectly awesome piece of, of fruit here. And, and so he says it's, it, it's it, you know, you, 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 you know, take a bite. You know, the, the tree is good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And she took of its fruit and ate and so she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And their eyes both were opened. And they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together to find themselves, to, to make themselves or, or to make loincloths. And... and uh, we realize as we go through the rest of the, 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 the story here that all of a sudden, all the innocence was lost. What Satan had already done, he now did too, and in a sense set up for mankind. That's the first place I think it's mentioned in the Bible. Okay. So the word evil is there, but yet it's not part of the good creation. No. Okay. So. So, therefore. No. no, don't do it therefore because then it gets definity. You're allowed to sow. <laughs> Okay, uh, the word used to describe the fruit was the reality that these people would have knowledge, and, and the word to describe it of evil was so anybody reading that would understand that fruit was forbidden. Why was it forbidden? Hindsight, looking back, it's the knowledge of, of understanding. This will give you a reason beyond your ability to. to it's, it, it's going to take you over, uh, in the sense of it's going to destroy you. And uh, uh, God set the boundary that there is something out there. Okay, what was that? Well, Satan had already exposed it. So, evil's actually exposed before this. Uh, as to how to describe that and, and balance the books and that, I haven't got a clue. And the Bible doesn't do it for us. It just says it was there already. Uh, in the sense of, within the framework of the universe, if you will. And uh, it had not disrupted the earth at this point. Yes. And already, yeah. Yeah, I believe that's the progress. Yeah. 
I, I don't think that Satan did this and then rebelled in heaven. You know, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and since, you know, uh, and, and so it is, it, I, I put here in my notes, this is how it got to us. But God doesn't speak to why he allowed it. Is it wrong to speculate then? Is it wrong to wrestle with this? And I, I put into, again, this idea of wrestle with it. Uh, and and, and uh, I believe in his word. We're called to wrestle with what's wrong, what's evil, what isn't correct. So here we go. Uh, uh, and I, I don't have... I, I couldn't, I had such a list of, of scripture and I'm thinking I'm already only got, you know, 45 minutes left. Um, and I wasn't sure which one to fall to at this point. Um, I decided on one that I felt might be familiar with to you, uh, Romans chapter 8, because I want to express the fact that, that, that the, the suffering is for lack of better words, it's complete. It's not just man that got impacted. We have two areas of evil to look at. There is uh, the, the, the evil that has to do with morality of man. And we actually have uh, the evil that has to do with disasters. Uh, and and uh, I, I hope I have time to get to it, but we'll, we'll see where, where it goes. But the idea is, is that, you know, even creation is long. Didn't we have a hand, a, 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 something about clapping the, 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 the trees, clapping the hands this morning, and stuff like that? You know, you know, pictures of, 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 of you know, where we, we uh, put personification, if you will, to, to plants, animals, trees. The idea is that, that there, there's a nature longing for something, and that's what Paul is cap- capturing here, because he's already talked about the reality that that that, that the world has fallen and and and. And yet, in the framework of nature, if you look at it, you can still see the thumbprint or the fingerprints of God. And, and so he's talking about uh, this idea of, 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 of future glory in, in heaven and all. And, and, he, and he makes us almost like a side note. Uh, verse 21, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to... Uh, well, let's actually uh, back up to 18. Uh, For I consider... Uh, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, if you were to sit there and start to wrestle with evil, no matter what you've suffered now, at the point in time you see the end result of what God has got planned for you, it's not going to impact. It might, you know, it's it's no, it's, it's it's the idea of of the song. It's worth it all. <laughs> it was worth it all. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to have a. It's, it. Well, you may wrestle with it here. The wrestling's done. Oh, yeah. We get to see God's plan from His side. Whether fully comprehended, no, I don't believe that. We're going to be getting to do that forever. But, but to see it and 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 what God was doing at a point where you couldn't see what He's doing. I think you've heard me describe this before. Our side is going back to the idea of Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts at all. Our side is, is the inside of, of a hand-woven tapestry. And if you've ever seen one, the, the most intricate one I ever saw was one that was smuggled out of China in the 40s. I'm not that old. Uh, the, that uh, 
uh, I had the pro- uh, opportunity to see hanging literally on the wall in someone's home. And, uh, and he, he turned it around and, and so that you could see it. There, there's supposed to be a lining on the back of it, but he'd taken that, well, that actually just disappeared over the years, I guess. And all you could see was, this were silk threads, hand dyed, put together somewhere in the 1800s. And someone wove it on a loom, but, but, but each thread coming into this thing. So that you know, it wasn't painted from the outside. It's the color, how it's woven in together. And all you can see is all these little threads, oranges and reds and, and, and all these different colors uh, tied off and hanging, little pieces of string. And I thought, that's the perfect picture for me. That's what I see in God's plan. I see my little section of tied off knots and I understand these things have happened, but I don't see the full picture. When you turn this thing back around, it is the most amazing work picture of a, of a woman carrying the, that, that rod that, they, that frequently would be used in the 1800s with the two uh, carrying units on either side of it and they're walking down a, a, a thing with the water you know, in it and stuff like that. And, that, and it shows the trail and, the, and, the, and the, the fields around her. It was so intricate. Now, the story that went with it, and I can't validate it I, other than what it was told to me, was that it took her a lifetime to put it together. It was her project. And uh, it, 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 when you turned it around, you just all you could do, before you could even begin to focus on any part of it, was to go, wow. And for somehow that's my illusion, if you will, to we're going to see it from the other side when, you know, and, and, and face to face we're just going to go, oh, and it will be worth it all. So you can understand why Paul said to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So uh, you have uh, here, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Keep that that one in phrase in mind. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And, the, and we're the sons of God, the children of God. Um, what, he, what Paul is referring to is the future glory. We're gonna, there's a point in time where we as the children of God are, are, are going to, to be free from all the things that are, are in this earth, the corruption, the, the futility of mind and, and man's wisdom and all of this kind of stuff. And creation's right there along with us, in a sense, longing for the hand of God to bring it about. And I, I, every time I read something like that, I can't help but think of, of you know, Maranatha come soon. <laughs> you know, I mean, if that's the, the way it's, it, it, it pictures. And I was explained to me that because I, I, every time I say it, it's normally at the point in time where I'm thinking, I can't wait to get away from this oppression, you know, if you will, the, this, the, the, this, uh, the corruption, the futility of, of things that it seems around us. And, 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 be, but there's an added thing that we're so always should be adding to that picture of, of Maranatha come soon, Lord Jesus, and that is that what? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and Christ will receive the glory that's due His name from every aspect, every corner. But anyway, you know, 
creation is subjected to futility as well as, as, as the, you know, and, and, and it's part of the fall, uh, because he who subjected it. And I thought, man, who's the he who subjected it? And I'd actually, I've been told that it was, was Satan at one point, one teaching. And somebody else said it was Adam. You know, and you, by the way, you can, you can go to, to various people because they, they have a particular leaning that they want to really thrust into this picture, trying to escape from God being responsible for any of the context of, of understanding that somehow evil's here and God's allowed it, so we're trying to escape from that. The picture is God. He is the one who subjected the world to this. How did he do that? Through the curse. At the point in time of the fall. Uh, and, and so what it says it's doing is groaning. And we should be groaning too. Longing for the time when it's complete. Is that wrong? Okay. Is, you know, we should be groaning for the completion of, of, of this. Does it mean that we, that's what we live as pie in the sky? No. No, don't misunderstand. It's just that we, there should be a natural longing in our spirit for what God has ahead of us. By the way, it's one of the things that gets us through what the following world is going through now. And, and so I put, you know, verse 23 in here. And, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. In other words, us too. We should be groaning too. Uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, this is something that's supposed to be a part of our lives. And, and so, uh, we, we, we go through all of this to, in the sense, the curse, and what did it, what, what happened because of the curse? And, and gosh, you, again, you know, I put the consequences of, of the curse, uh, uh, is sin in the world, and I also put judgment. You cannot escape that word. And as soon as you put the word judgment in there, it gets really harsh. All of a sudden there's a line of, this is beautiful. I use a word to describe it. This is ugly. The consequences over here. This is beautiful. Sons and children of God going, you know, enjoying eternity. The consequences in judgment. This is, I think ugly is a, is a mild word at that point. Um, you feel, how many of you are familiar with Dante's Inferno? Not the movie. That's coming out, <laughs> you know. Uh, again, required reading when I was in school, uh, in college, and uh, you had to read the whole trilogy, by the way, which was you know Dante's weekend journey to, to uh, you know, uh, hell, purgatory, and heaven. And uh, there, it was there. You can certainly see all the politics and different things that were going on at the time, and the things that Dante wrote, and why he wasn't very popular with certain people. But uh, you know, he made it clear that just uh, proclaiming Christ as you know, wearing in a sense the the clothing of Christ is not sufficient to see you in heaven. It has to be something more than that. And he had a number of people who wore the clothing of Christ that were uh, well known that were in hell. <laughs> uh, but the idea is, is that he paints a picture of hell that is so graphic. And 
I think that because we're still weak of mind in that sense of understanding, uh, I don't think we can fully understand because we've never been, even in, in outside of our personal relationship with Christ before we were Christians, we still enjoyed God's mercy and grace in a sense of, of a general context. We've never been outside of that. I don't think we can comprehend. Just like it's hard to comprehend eternity in heaven, I don't think we can comprehend the other side. And so we have consequences of, of, of evil coming in, consequences of judgment, uh, the fall and the curse. Now, at this point, I, 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 I start to put some, some, I just put a small list together. You know, what are some of the judgments that I see in Scripture that have happened that were horrendous in the sense of the nature of them? Flood. I don't think you can get more complete in the sense of a judgment and, and, and the results of it anything closer to what God's got in separating you know, the, the sheep and the goats than that in, 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 a, in a graphic picture. But you've got Sodom and Gomorrah. You've got the Canaanites. You've got Israel. Israel went through some brutal judgments. And God allowed sin to have its way, if you will, and, and, and havoc and, and, and death. And, and, and not just death, but again, Holocaust-type things happen. Babylonians, from the Assyrians, from the Greeks, from the Romans. Uh, now, I don't know if the Greeks were so much involved in that, but the Romans. And to the point where uh, it was mentioned uh, also the sacking of, of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., I will not read that to you because it's what Josephus wrote, but it's, it's, it, you can read it yourself. I'm not, it's not that I won't read to you because it's, it's something you shouldn't read, but because it's so graphic that it's, it's hard to read. But there's an ultimate picture of the consequences of evil and judgment. And it's the cross. That's the, the supreme battle, if you will. And it was won before the foundation of the world, by the way. I, 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 that, you've got to remember, that's because God in His sovereignty, all of this picture of who God is, we can't let go of that. Uh, there's a battle of good and evil in this picture, and, and Jesus takes it to the cross and, if you will, brings it to a, to a, a solution in the sense that at that point in time, it's decided. But because... This plan was before the foundation of the world. It was decided before then. I have people say, did Satan know that? Satan's not all-knowing. Now, uh, but but the, the reality is, is, is I, don't th- I think Satan went all out to, to try to destroy. And he didn't hold anything back. And Christ took that. And that what he took on himself was the judgment that every one of us deserves. Every one of us. He took it on himself. And Revelation in, uh, speaks of, in, in chapter 19 speaks of a final judgment where Satan's cast into the lake of fire, the second death, and, it's, and it says it's eternal and forever, and I believe that. I don't think that's some, you know, just abstract words that were chosen to be put there, but eternal and forever. 
I, I, I don't believe in soul sleep, and I, you know, I think there's a, a point where we are, in, our, our souls are with the Lord until the resurrection, and 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 I don't believe in, in a immediate, you know, a death where and where hell is either not there or is limited to a short period of time of history and then gone, and, and all those. I believe there's a separation of the of the sheep and the goats, the way Jesus puts it, and both are eternal in its nature. There's a uh, a writer, uh, Christopher Wright. In fact, I brought I, I brought your book back, but then I realized I'd marked in it so much that I owe you a new one. <laughs> uh, uh, and I think I, I I got it. It's just that well, I'll, I'll try to I'll give it back to you. Uh, but but uh, the the idea is is that. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, and it's called the God I don't understand, by the way. And it's, 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 again, this idea of wrestling with these issues. Uh, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. And I'm not going to be able to understand all of it. There's some of it that I just, there's no specific way of, of grasping at this point. But within the midst of God not being responsible because He is holy and good and perfect for evil, he still has decreed, and I thought this was an interesting way of putting it. God has decreed that the presence of evil would have a part in his plan. Without being the responsible party of creating it, he says, but it has a part in the plan. And I'm thinking, but the plan was before the foundation of the world. God knew all along, or there wouldn't have been the need of the plan for the cross if He didn't know. So this is this is something that that it's part of the plan. It's part of how it comes together, and 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 somehow there's a in seeing, understanding, knowing, wrestling with evil uh, allows us to better to see and understand and know God. That's not my own quote either. That's from Dallas, Missouri. Uh, you know, he says, as we wrestle with, with, with uh, evil and, 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 and understanding it, he says, it gives us a, a, a base, if you will, to understand God's holiness and His love and His mercy for us all the more. That's not saying, there, oh, there's the reason. Yeah? But it lets you think about it. Now, there are some specific moral problems that, that, that have come up and, and people read the Bible, and they'll point to them very specifically. I don't know if I even want to open this can of worms. Because, and the reason for it is because some of you will have a question, and it's kind of like, well, how many of you have spent any, well, I know you have, so you can just don't, no answer. Any long period of time teaching children, okay, I have, I would say, still two, you know, uh, at least half of my ministry was always involved with, uh, uh, you know, with children and teaching children's church and teaching children and youth groups and and, and stuff like that. And when I, my first internship, uh, well, my only internship uh, was with a, a guy by the name of Bryce Jessup in, in San Jose, 
and and he said that you know we had to give him an extra three months. You know the the internships were nine months. You you had three quarters of internship. You know to to graduate, and and you had to give him an extra three months, which meant coming on during the summer, which meant vacation, Bible school, all these other things. Yeah, and 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 the first three months you worked with kids only, and the reason was in his mind was trying to help children understand the 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 the. The grace and mercy of God and, and, and His love for us, uh, is, is no easy task in trying to get it down to where kids can understand. He says, once you do that, he says, you maybe can, you know, you have a better opportunity to explain it to others as well. Uh, because we're all children in, 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 in some way or another in the sense of uh, trying to grasp this. But the idea is, 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 you know, we have some of the things in, in, in Scripture that are, you, you know, I wouldn't even want to try to teach to kids. And we even had a curriculum here for a little while that was going a little bit too far over that edge for, for me, and as it turns out, enough other people that we decided not to use it. But we want, to, we want our kids to understand the basic doctrines, but, you know, there's parts of it that are even over our heads. You know, how do we present that to kids, you know? But but one of the, the, the things is, is is the idea of, of of how God has used man, governments, leaders, kings to bring about his judgment on others. And some of it is really difficult to grasp. And so as soon as you open that, is like I said, it comes back to this. Uh, the, the, the easiest question I can think of that a kid will answer, well, it's not the easiest question to answer, but the ones that seem, seem to come up most frequently, is that just as you've gone through the, the creation story and you, you get to the Adam and the Eve, and they, what if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten that fruit? Normally they say the apple. Uh, what if Adam and Eve hadn't? What would it be like today? Anybody want to answer that? Or maybe it just didn't, wouldn't have happened that day. You know, I mean, you know, uh, what we're doing is we're playing what if. What if is, is, is supposition at best. It, it's a game. Uh, what if I, and, and this is one of those things that gets people into depressions and, and, and have, brings problems into marriages and a lot of other things. What if I had t- taken a different track? What if I had done this? What if I had done that? Uh, I, I don't know, but it's not one of the things that I've ever really been interested in playing as long as I can remember. What if doesn't count because what if didn't happen. It's only what is. Now, I am, I, I'm not saying that about the future. I'm not, I'm not in, locked into that in a negative context. I'm just saying what if has already happened. I can't back up and undo it. I can go back and ask forgiveness or, or give forgiveness and a lot of other things that, that would hopefully rectify problems that my actions or other actions or combinations of things that caused, but I can't go back and, and undo. And so, what if doesn't exist? This is what happened. So how do we wrestle with it? God has chosen to use the resources of the world frequently to bring about judgment on man. And not just the resources of men. He's used the resources of nature. Either that or I misread the flood. 
wrestle with some of that. It's harsh. I'm beginning to, over the years, you know, grasp a little bit of the understanding and, and have wrestled with it over the years to, to come to that understanding that this is, you know, that, that sin, he wants to, you know, it, it, sin is ugly and there's a certain point where it, it hits a point where God, it's, it, it's, it's as much as can be allowed and then it has to be dealt with in a, in a graphic, larger scale. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah is pretty graphic. You know, people always like to go to the to the to the judgment of uh, and, and and Israel and the Canaanites, and and say you know, how graphic a, a thing fell on the Canaanites, and, and that's in Joshua, and it is graphic and it is thorough and it is complete. But if you go to back to Genesis chapter 15, you'll find out it had been building for 400 years. That God didn't just all of a sudden decide. There was a, a sense of, of a filling of time. That would, where sin would hit its cap, okay? But the same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah, the same thing with other things that you look at in the scripture of God bringing about judgment in that picture is, is that at some point in time, sin no longer, you know, it's run the course it's going to run and, it, and that's the end of it and God brings judgment. And judgment is harsh. Look at the cross. Judgment is harsh. Look at what it says in Revelation. It's night and day, literally. Darkness and light, literally. And the 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 the, the picture is, you know, if some, I, I hear some people say, you know, and 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 this is while I was living in in San Jose, and I and 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 in San Francisco both and. I, I lived there in the 70s and 80s, and that was the uh, avant-garde of, of, of a sexual movement within the framework of, of California, at least. And it wasn't just, you know, it, it was a very broad picture. Uh, uh, if you went ever, if you ever went hit the Haight Ashbury in the late 60s and early 70s, you would understand it. It wasn't all gender oriented. It was just a free movement of context of, of, of uh, and I remember somebody saying, you know, in, in a very sarcastic and mean sort of way, you know, if God doesn't do something with, uh, with, with, with San Jose and San Francisco, God owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology, you know. But the reality is, is that at some point, Sin hits its capacity, and God brings judgment. By the way, there's a point in time yet ahead of us in history where that happens. Peter talks about it. He says there's a point in time where, where, where uh, you know, God's tarrying. Why is he tarrying now? What does it say? Does anybody recall what Second Peter talks about? Chapter 3, well, why God is tarrying? So those who will come to repentance have come, but it also means that after the, that happens, that's the final stroke of sin as well. However you want to deal with it, sin has hit its basket or its fullness too. Heaven has hit its fullness, sin has hit its fullness, and judgment comes. And, and, and Peter gives a very graphic picture uh, of, of, of events in a sense of, you know, enough so that some people have tried to put it into a literal context. I don't know if that is necessary, but the idea was to drive you to that point where you say, well, everything has to end in the nuclear holocaust, you know, or something, you know. But, but, but the idea of, 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 of judgment 
that Peter talks about. And that's the final end of it. There's, I think the, 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 the bottom line for, for, for me as I look at this is that reality. Somehow and because of sin that occurred within the framework of, 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 of angels, Lucifer and a third of the angels, it came down to God's creation on earth and man. And it, it influenced us and, and became that point where, where without the help of God, without the Holy Spirit, without God intervening, we would live in a, in a sinful way and die in that sin. There's a battle between good and evil as a result. Paul tells us about the, it's, it's a spiritual battle, it's, uh, putting on the armor of God and all of that. Job boils it down to a sense of, of, of his immediate situation when he says, you know, God gives and God takes away. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it fully. And it's interesting. I, I, I hear the phrase periodically, you know, playing God. Well, somebody's playing God with that. Uh, again, going back because of my, my cultural background and being raised at the time that I was raised, uh, you know, President Johnson, uh, President Nixon, and others were accused of playing God with the lives of a lot of men because of the Vietnam War. You know, uh, what was what was the essence of that? Well, they're 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 the responsible for death. Okay, God allows it. God allows death, but it's His choice. It's on His terms. It's at His level of reasoning and understanding. And, and Joe just puts it simply, God gives and he takes away. What's our response to that? Well, I see some people that take that avenue of hunky-dory on the way to glory. Even evil, we have to embrace and smile and say, oh, God's working. Uh, I, read, I, I was sitting in a doctor's office just the other day and there was a magazine there and it surprised me that it was in a doctor's office and I saw about six copies and I thought somebody smuggled them in. Uh, but but, but it was having to do with evil, I thought, boy, this couldn't be better timing. You know? <laughs> that was about a six-page article. And, and all it did was it, 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 it put it down to a battle between God and the devil and basically not a, the, the accountability for man was relatively small. The devil made me do it. No. The devil has access to us, but it's us. It's our choices. It's our sin. And, and we're responsibility, uh, responsible for it. But, but this, you know, then there's the other side of it. I, I, I sold, uh, uh, worked for a paint company for a, year, a few years, and, and I was helping a friend out in his store. Uh, he, he, his worker didn't show up, and he wanted a lunch break. And then while he's gone, somebody comes in with a wallpaper. This wasn't my job to work as a clerk in the store, but I was just giving him a break. And he comes in with a, she comes in with wallpaper and says, Oh, 
I've got the wrong wallpaper. This is not what I ordered. And so we went to the books, looked at it, and sure enough, the, the, the number on this particular wallpaper book, the number was on the back of the page of the wallpaper. Other wallpaper books, the number's on the opposite page so that you look at both at the same time. And it just depends on the company. She had ordered it this way, the book, oh, that's the number. Well, it was a different context of colors and stuff like that. And I showed it to her and I said, but we'll, we can take it back and, and, and since it was, you know, uh, no one's actual mistake and it's not, you know, we'll, we'll buy, you know, there's a 10% reshelving charge with these wallpaper companies inside. She says, oh, well, no, if that's the way it happened, God meant me to have this wallpaper. And, and I mean, it doesn't matter what happens in her life. And she, you know, basically was the idea. Everything is happening and I'm supposed to be hunky dory. I don't see that that's the way scripture wants us to wrestle with evil. We are to oppose evil. It's an amazing thing. In one sense, I would think, you know, I think of my own selfishness in in a sense of my own life. I know that when I die, where I go. But do you know what I have done in the last 15 years to avoid that? Yeah, I mean, you have no idea, but the heart surgeries, the things I've gone through that, that have kept me alive because I fight death. Why don't I just say, you know, surrender and just say, oh, the best thing, you know, that's, I, I go to heaven. I believe that there's a, a part of us in a spiritual context that sees death as, and I've heard this preached at, 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 at funerals. Oh, death embraced, you know, our friend and da, da, da. Death embraces nothing. Death is evil. Death is the consequence of sin. Death is no, no buddy of mine. And, uh, you know, we, we don't embrace death. We grieve over death. You know, and, and so we're opposed to evil. We hate it. And God gives us a place to grieve. To weep, Jeremiah to lament, you know, lamentations, to protest. Go through the Psalms. Look at them carefully. There's more Psalms about lamenting and protesting than there are about joy in heaven, you know. And and God's not saying, oh, that was wicked of you, David, or wicked of you, who, you know, Psalm writer. He, you know, he, he, the reality is, is that we're wrestling with this thing called evil and all that it brings. Do I fully understand it? No. But should I be afraid to address it and wrestle with it? And the answer is no. I have a confidence. This is the Word of God. He's allowed some of it to be here and let me see it. He wants me to address it in my life. He wants me to understand what evil is and where it comes from and why it separates me from Him and what to do about it. And what to continue to do about it even after I become a believer. And realize the battle is not something I can do on my own. It requires me to, con- to, to, to confess my sins, to come to the Lord, say, Lord, I can't do this. Through your Holy Spirit, come and, and, and create in me a clean heart. 
I believe at the bottom line, somehow this is going to bring it, come together at a point in time, and it's already happened in, in ways that I don't even understand yet, and some of it maybe I'm grasping, but and that is to appreciate, you know, because of this, this evil, and I don't want to put the, the idea of a thing to it, it's, but it's, it's because it's there, because, you know, uh, man is capable of these things and, and, and the fallenness, it, it makes me understand all the more the awesomeness of God's grace and His mercy. Sometimes, though, I find myself, and I shared with you already this evening, I'm sitting there saying, God, I don't get it. Why did you let this happen? Now, I can't validate this. This was not a prophetic thing but it was a sense of peace. Some people say, well, it was because you, you, you know, you lean on, on scripture and Bible and God as a crutch. And this is what, you know, you allowed your mind to come up with to, to salve your pain. Okay? But the night I was wrestling with my son's death before I went to wake up Kathy and tell her what had happened, I was literally, like I said, walking around my house. I expected lights to go on. I was loud. I, I think I was loud. Maybe I wasn't. Um, and as I said, God, I don't get it. Again, I burned the candle at both ends and in the middle. Totaled three cars under the influence. And I walked away. My son flirts with it and he's dead. Why? And God said, well, you weren't saved. It was as clear I expected lights to go on from that. It sounded like a voice to me. And like I told you, I know because of the conversation I had just had with my son a few days before. I knew where his relationship was. And what was God did with an absolute blessing was a letter from somebody from Reading who had just talked to him the weekend before to confirm what I had talked with him that he had shared with that person and wanted me to know. And those were just, you know, that happened after the fact. So it was as clear as, as day. Uh, you know, you weren't saved. And in some way, the sense that even though as, as I could find no equal to this in my life personally at that point in time, in that, that moment, in the sense of grief, sorrow, lamentation, and all the other things that went with it that are a result of evil, the confidence that God in the process of this, easily could have could be sparing us from something worse. I couldn't imagine at the time what would be worse, but I have since. But I just the the real picture is: can we rest in God and not that hunky dory all the way to glory? I get a flat tire. I actually I go and I kick it. You know, I I, I I'm not happy about having to find the, the 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 jack and use it and pump it up and take the tire off and all that kind of stuff. But at the same point, there is a sense of, is it possible God spared me from an accident? Is it possible that, that, in other words, can I rest in the sovereignty of God right down to the littlest things? In the conflict of, of you know, I, I, I think the tire going flat is evil. Uh, and somebody says, I'm taking it too lightly. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying, you know, uh, I'm just saying that, that things not working well, is things being hindered, and, and I don't know, I just, uh, the, the idea is, is that 
we are allowed to grieve. We are allowed to lament. In fact, um, this this book uh, that BJ let me use, uh, he said... Uh, in fact, he's the one that said, uh, I surely cannot, it cannot be an accidental that the divinely inspired book of, of Psalms, there are more Psalms of lament and anguish than of joy and thanksgiving. That's where I got that, by the way. Um, but, but he says, I, uh, I, I, and, and this is an interesting statement to make, and, and we've just broached on it tonight. He says, I feel that the language of lament is seriously neglected in the church today. Meaning we just simply avoid talking about it. And I don't mean being gloomy, uh, sad faces and all this stuff. But the reality is we live in a fallen world. We don't need to be able to think about its consequences, what it is involved in, and what its final consequences are. And at the same time to rejoice then in the reality that as much as this world is what it is, we have... God to look forward, and when we get there, we'll look back and say, basically, it was worth it all. Now, I don't know if I covered this subject the way anybody else would have covered it, but but the idea was, I I don't know that there's, I suppose there's a real academic way to approach this, but I'm not that person. I you know I I I I tend to be uh, use a lot of uh, what God has brought me through and and hopefully share with you and and at the same point give you a confidence that the God of all creation, no matter what the circumstances around us, has never abandoned us. He never abandons us. He has never looked back and and missed a beat. Some people, as they try to rationalize the, the, the context of good and evil and, and they're not saying, well, God's in the process of defeating evil, but he's, he, he can't overpower it yet. Sorry, it doesn't wash with me. You know, uh, it, it, that, that just steps all over his sovereignty and his power. All, God is all powerful and, and sovereign. And I, I, I you know, uh, there, you know, other aspects of it is, is, is God is just letting us run its course and he turns his back on it, so to speak. You know? No, it's not what he's doing. And as trite as the words sound in the middle of a crisis, and please, you know, I, I shared about uh, Alaris this morning. Uh, if she, when she comes back, that would be with anybody that's experienced a loss, you know, uh, or a, a time of, of sadness and sorrow like that. But, but you know... I mean, I had so many people over the years, and, and that one situation with my son. One person came up with the biggest heart, and I knew this person personally. She put her arm around me, and she says, We know what you're going through, Bob. We just lost our puppy last week. Now, these were a couple that never had children. They only had their pets, and I know what their pet meant to them. I'd been in their home enough times to know. And I took it as what it was meant to be. But, you know, there's a time where some something just sounds so trite. But you know, Bob, God works all things to our good. Romans 8.28 Are you leaving yet? It's not that I don't believe it. 
But there's a time for crying. There's a time for weeping. There's a time for lamenting. There's a time for saying, I don't get it. I don't understand. And it's okay. But don't let it steal from you your faith. And so the reality is always to come back to this. this, this is God, if God is sovereign, then somehow he's in the mix of this. And I have to rest with the confidence that God is never late about anything. He is right on the perfect timing. Period. No less, no more. Right on the perfect timing. That way with his son... And the timing of the of, of the incarnation to anything else that you want to talk about. Now I know that that I didn't cover all the things, uh, but I'm willing to give you four minutes. Well, no, that's slow. I'm going to get seven minutes to ask a question and 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 let me say I don't know. <laughs> you know see, first thing you say, I have a question. I say I have an answer. <laughs> I don't know. Anybody want to bring up something they want to talk about that we can wrestle with for a few minutes or maybe uh, reserve to the end of our thing and we'll come back to it and wrestle with it? Mike, how come I knew you were going to do this? Well, uh, you know, Satan is is the master of deception. He's the father of lies. There's no good in him, which means even when he quotes scripture, he quotes it for the wrong reasons. And 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 you notice, you know, when Jesus was tempted in the in in the wilderness, Satan used scripture. He misused and abused it, but he he used it. Um, so as a result, that you know, it's one of those things we as Christians, by the way, need to be real careful about. You know, I, 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 I think every generation has a contemporary uh, uh, theologian and, 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 and uh, that they, they rely on for good information, this type of thing. And then we have the old ones that, 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 and when I say old ones, I'm not going back to the oldest ones, but, you know, going back to, you know, Spurgeon or, or John Wesley or depending on what track you're on, you know, and, but none of the writings of these men outside of the scripture they quote literally is inspired. Even your study Bible, I know we went over this already, but even your study Bible, the footnotes, even the part that says, oh, this is you know, similar to uh, uh, you know, such and such a scripture, turn back and you can see it, is man's idea of putting it together. And we all have preconceived ideas. We all have a, a particular belief window that puts, on a, puts us on a particular track. And, and uh, as a result, we're not dependent on those things to give us the definitive answers, if you will. But to help us do what? Wrestle with what we don't understand. Grow in what we do understand. And there is a point where if you're just reading the Word frequently, and I can't help but I always think of, of uh, Mr. Ong. You remember? <laughs> you might remember him. I don't know. Uh, 
he, he was so funny. Uh, but he would, he would read over here and he would look at something and, and, and he says over the years, uh, he was, he was, uh, Korean and he, and he approached the Bible really from a different point of view in the sense that he had been engulfed in, in, uh, uh, a, a an Eastern religion and it, and it dominated his life. It was the focal point. They had festivals, they had everything that focused around that. Okay, so when he became a Christian, everything did that. So, so it, it was this daily thing and, and celebrating with people constantly. And when they went to church, they went to church literally all day. It's kind of hard. I've been in, in, in cultures where semi that way, but, 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 you know, uh, you know, literally they came with their, their, their pots that they would put into the heat, gr- coals in the ground and leave during the morning service, eat together, and then the, the, they would start singing, and by that time it would be evening, and then the pastor would preach again, and it might be 11 o'clock before they went home. Um, and, and, and one of his things was just, you know, frequently reading the word, and, he's, and he says, all of a sudden one day you're looking over here and you say, oh my goodness, that goes with this over here. And you think it's a startling revelation. <laughs> Has anybody else seen this? Because it's the first time you've seen it. And the scripture is abundant with that for a lifetime. And uh, I just want to encourage you. you know, trust the Word and the Holy Spirit working from the one side to reveal it and open it to you and from the other side to open your eyes to it. That, that you can read through the scripture and glean truth. You don't have to have a commentary on the side that, that you say, well, I'll, in fact, there's a, a tendency some, sometimes, and I've seen this over in the years, read the commentary first and then read the scripture. I, 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 please, read the scripture first. Outline it. Do different things to it. Uh, take, keep journals on it. Whatever it is that will do that will help you, uh, you know, take it into thought and wrestle with it. So any other questions? You've got, still got five. Because that clock is five minutes fast. Now that I know that, I can. Uh, where's Brad? He was in here just a minute ago. He's the one that said it five minutes fast to throw me off. Any? Okay. Well, we, we still have a couple more classes to go through. What's the next one? Um, I don't have my, my regular... Okay. Yeah, but the idea of them, yeah. Is that yeah? Spoiler alert! Thanks. Now I was coming to you know, with my pet one here. So anyway, uh, thank you for giving me uh, opportunity to share with you this evening. And uh, you know, I know that that uh, you know not complete. Not and, and and I don't see you could take a semester's worth of courses. You could take uh, four semesters worth of courses on something like this and never uh, you know reach its depth at all. So. Oh yes, because of uh, we're getting ready for the harvest party on Friday, or Saturday. We moved the chairs around to the edge of the room and and up on the stage here, uh, both to create boundaries and barriers, and to get them out of the way. Lord bless you. Let's have a word of prayer, and I'll let you guys get out of here. Father, we just thank you so much that we could come this evening, uh, and again to wrestle with your word, to to rest in the confidence that uh, that in your uh, your absolute wisdom, this is something you want us to do, uh, to draw close to you and to strengthen us. And 
while we don't fully understand all of it and can't all put it together, we rest with, again, the confidence that you have it all in a, in, in a sense of, uh, you have it all figured out. We just are resting in you, coming to grips with it and wrestling with it. Cause that adventure to be something that we covet and love and, and enjoy, to come to your word and when we don't understand, to, to talk about it, to wrestle with it. And, 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 and even if we can't come to final conclusions in some things, that we could come to the confidence again that in all of it, your plan before the foundation of the world is, is through, through the incarnation, through the cross, has been resolved. And we can rest with confidence that you have eternity secured for all who rest in you. Thank you. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for what you share. And I'm particularly about your son because like, I, I, something that actually came to mind when like, I first started coming here. Cause, like,